0: listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. Nehemiah chapter 12, Nehemiah chapter 12. We're down the home, coming down the home stretch. Uh, Two more weeks in the book of Nehemiah. Then we'll have a short Easter series called This is Love, which will take place Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. And then we'll begin a a series walking through the book of 1 Peter uh, that we're really looking forward to. And then uh, we're going to do a a series on the Ten Commandments, ten weeks on the Ten Commandments in the summer. And uh, we're not quite sure what we're going to do in September, so be praying for us as we we consider... uh, Consider that. Uh, let me pray together. We're looking at verses uh, 27 to uh, the end of the chapter, by the way, in Nehemiah 12. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll start walking through this text. <clears throat> uh, Father, my heart is full. Uh, you, you are such a good God, and uh, thank you for your abundant grace and blessing. In all sense of those words, grace and blessing. Um, we thank you for... Uh, your favor we, we thank you for grace upon grace um, and the promise for more uh, I, I thank you for this body and allowing us to do life and and, and ministry together uh, I, I I just want to say thank you and uh, we thank you for your word t- too we, we thank you that we don 't have to guess at this life uh, we, we you 've given us your word to to guide and lead us, and not only your word the the Spirit who inspired the word in us. And so I thank you for this time. I thank you for the time in, in, in this text especially. I, th- I think it's so relevant to us today uh, in, light in, the, in light of the world and some of the tests that, the, that this world brings. So lead our, lead our time, I pray, uh, for your glory. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, In in 2016, you'll remember that in the uh, United States presidential race, Donald Trump, he ran in part on the promise that he would build a wall, uh, build a wall uh, that would divide the United States, the southern border of the United States with Mexico. That wall over time, as you know, became a symbol of something so much bigger. Uh, it, it, It divided a people. Uh, In more ways than one, because that's what walls do. They divide people physically, certainly. They divide people (laughs) to try to keep people in or out. But that wall and the promise of it also divided people philosophically, too. It divided people politically. The Berlin Wall did the same thing decades decades before that, uh, the Berlin Wall divided a city, it divided a people, but it became a symbol of something so much greater too. Freedom on the West um, and socialist rule, Stalinist roots on the, on the East. There were shrines on, on the Berlin Wall in commemoration of those people who lost their lives trying to go from East to West. Over the last three months, we've talked a lot about walls, uh, the Wall of Jerusalem specifically. it too was a wall that not only offered protection for the people in Jerusalem but it also served as a symbol of something so much bigger. It, it united a people that certainly took place, but it also served as a symbol to the people of god 's goodness and god 's favor and and God's restoration, and God's faithfulness to them. Um, This is Dedication Sunday. Uh, The walls have been rebuilt, the homes have been rebuilt, the gates have, have been hung, and now it's to dedicate, time to dedicate this finished product. This dedication slash celebration probably should have happened earlier, but as you remember from last week, very few people lived in the city of Jerusalem because it had been destroyed, and so the city needed to be repopulated first, and that's, that's what Pat led us through last week. But now is the time to celebrate, and now is the time to dedicate. But before looking at the text, have you ever considered why we're so into moments like these? Celebrations and dedications and commemorations? Because our lives are full of, it, full of them. We love it. Right, we, we dedicate babies, we have birthday parties, we celebrate, you're, you're not dead yet, you made it another year, so let's celebrate that. We, we do things like ribbon cutting ceremonies, and we have commissioning ceremonies and events, we commission people, we commission places. Uh, if the Canucks win the Stanley Cup ever, right, we'll have a parade, we'll, we'll, we'll riot, and then we'll have a parade, it'll be, that's what Vancouverites do. But why? Why do we do it? Why why is this something that the world loves to do? Celebrate, dedicate, commemorate. You ever thought about it? Could it possibly be? Could it possibly be that it's woven into us? That, That it hints at our being created in the image of God? The reason why I bring that up is because God is big on celebrations. He's big on dedications and commemorations. I've talked about it before, how in the Old Testament, God gives his people seven feasts that they are to observe every year, some of them seven days long. We just looked at one a couple of weeks ago, the Feast of Week, or uh, Booth, excuse me. Where, where people for seven days were to move out of their house and live in tents in commemoration and remembrance of how God freed them from slavery and they lived in the wilderness as nomads. So God is big on this. Sabbath-keeping. Sabbath-keeping was a weekly commemoration, a, a time to remember. First of all, God's creation work that was now finished, but also later, God's rescue of his people from from slavery in Egypt. So God is big on this, but we see this throughout the Old Testament and other places too. Uh, It seems like any time a big event happens, in the Old Testament especially, there's a renaming or a naming of something. Or if if an event took place, they, they may not only rename something or give a name to something, they'd take rocks, pile them on one another, and create a place of remembrance, of... Of dedication. Uh, one, uh, one example of this is in First Samuel chapter seven, Israel has this battle with the, with the horrible Philistines, have victory over them. And this is what we read you can read it behind me, that we discover in First Samuel seven, that Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, he named it Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far the Lord has helped us." Uh, Ebenezer means something like stone of help, which is why today, some 3,000 years later, we still sing, right, this song. Here I raise my Ebenezer, by thy help I have come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. My, my point in all this and the reason why I'm starting this way is because we have this dedication ceremony in our text, this celebration, and my argument is that it's good and right to do these things. It, it's good and right to celebrate and commemorate because I think it hints at the God who made us. But I think it's also good and right to celebrate and commemorate especially when in them, in those celebration times, we take time to remember what God has done in and through his people. When it's those types of celebrations and commemorations, I think it's very good and right. In those times, we should raise new Ebenezer's and declare God has helped us. And, and by his good grace, he will help us all the way home. Because that's what these times are all about as we go to our text finally i'm going to do something very simple very simple outline i'm going to highlight what i'm simply calling four elements that stand out from this celebration slash dedication that i think we can learn from uh should learn from and most importantly put them into practice especially in light of the the times in which we live, which, as I said earlier, tempt us against these things or from these things. So four, four elements. Here's the first, if you like taking notes. They celebrate, what we will see, is they celebrate joyfully. Stands up. Take a look at verses 27. I'll read through verse 29 and then drop down to verse 43. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites, wherever they lived, and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the region around Jerusalem from the settlements of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmapheth, for they had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem, verse 43. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. This is great. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. And joy is everywhere in this celebration, meaning the people didn't merely attend this event. They experienced it. And I love how verse 43 ends. Their rejoicing was heard far away. Back in chapter 9, we looked at uh, the confession and the repentance, remember that, of, of the nation and how they expressed their repentance, their grief, their sorrow in very tangible outward ways. They wore sackcloths and poured ashes on their heads and they they fasted. And, and one of the things that I argued for a couple of weeks ago was that in the Christian life, there, there will be times like that. Um, more often than we sometimes think and hope for, wish for, um, there will be times like that. It's a promise, but they shouldn't be all the time. Christians can too often look over, overly despondent week after week. There's joy here. There's the experience of, of joy here. But in saying that, going back to chapter 9 and talking about grief and mourning, I don't mean to suggest that the opposite of joy is grief and sadness. For joy can be present in the midst of grief and sadness. Joy can show itself in laughter and happiness, but it's so much weightier and rich than that. Laughter and happiness, good things, are more connected to our present situation. Happiness rests on our happenings and and the things going on on the outside. Joy, however, is birthed on the inside and is independent from our happenings. Joy can be present at a funeral. Joy can raise up in the midst of tears. How do we find that joy? Because everybody's looking for it. How do we find that joy? Well, we can't. That's the answer. It must be given to us, which is what we read about in verse 43. On that day, they rejoiced. Why? Because God had given them great joy. This kind of joy has to be given. It it, it has to be a fruit of something outside of us. Like the fruit of the Spirit, obviously. Jesus said something similar in the great text, John 15, where he's talking about abiding in him. And Jesus says in in, in verse 11 of John 15, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see, there is a worldly joy, but then there is a, a divine joy as well. There's a joy, and then there's the joy of the Lord. That kind of joy is the kind of joy that gives us strength and can be present even when things stink, which they kind of have over the last couple of years. How is one given this joy? I mean, if it's given to us, if we can't find it, it has to be given to us. How, how, to, how is it given? Well, the an, here's the answer. The answer is by being right with God. That's the answer. No, nothing should bring us joy more than the joy of our salvation which is why angels rejoice more over the one sinner saved than the 99 who already are. Do you remember the repentance of David in Psalm 51? I I took you there a couple of weeks ago. Bathsheba moment, Nathan speaks into his life. David repents. Part of his repentance is found in verse 12 where he says, he prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's it's the joy of our salvation that enables us to mourn, but not like those who have no hope. There's this moment in the Gospels where Jesus sends out the disciples on a ministry trip, and he empowers them and grants them authority to preach and, and heal and even cast out demons they go out, come back, they have this debrief moment and the disciples are fired up, man. They're telling Jesus what they did and they finally say to Jesus, even the spirits submitted to us. Jesus responds to them, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The joy of your salvation should be what you rejoice over most. But going back to the text, here, here's maybe something you want to push back with, and that may be, hey Norm, they're, they're rejoicing over the rebuilding of the walls. They're, they're, they're full of joy because the walls have, have been raised. That, that's, why they're, that's why they're rejoicing. Uh, yes, uh, but not really. They they were rejoicing more over what the walls symbolized. And what the walls symbolized, as I said earlier, was God's, God's goodness and his favor and his restoration and his salvation. Because remember, going all the way back to the beginning of this series, I talked about how the broken walls represented a broken people. Because the walls had been destroyed because of their sin and rebellion. But now the walls have been rebuilt, and so what are they rejoicing over most? They are in right relationship again with God, which is what we should rejoice over most. It's all over this celebration. Do you you find joy in your salvation? Do you find joy in your salvation? You, you may not be finding it currently in your job or your marriage or your status, your body. Bodies break down. But you can find joy in your salvation. Are you? Or, or are you looking for joy in so many other places? Before moving on, don't don't miss that their joyous dedication, that's what it is referred to in verse 27, was accompanied by the playing of instruments, right? Lots of instruments, cymbals and lyres and harps and trumpets, and singing, and everybody's singing. It's fantastic. And and Nehemiah brings in professional singers too. This is a worship gathering. Just, I love that. For the, the joy of the Lord should always lead to worship. Individually, personally, in our lives, day by day, when we gather, we should worship, enjoy. That's the first element. Second element that marked their celebration was purity. Take a look at verse 30. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the city gates, and the wall. Um... This is a really important verse in in context because what this verse reminds us of is that there is something far more important than the voices of the worshipers and that's the hearts of the worshipers. In Jesus' ministry of those who opposed Jesus, the religious leadership of the day, he said of them, they honor God with their lips but their hearts are far from him. Going back to that repentance of Psalm 51, David in that same prayer of repentance asks that God create in him a clean heart. We we see Midtown, we can't truly, we can't truly celebrate, celebrate the things that God has done in and for us with hypocritical and unclean hearts. And few things sap our joy more than unconfessed sin, more than practiced sin. It saps our joy. That was David's situation. Unconfessed, practiced sin. He confesses and said, God, give me my joy back, the joy of my salvation. Uh, In that same Psalm 51 repentance, you can read this behind me, David writes, you do not want a sacrifice, or or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despair a broken and humbled heart, God. Earlier in the book of Psalms, Psalm 24, the psalmist asks, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and pure heart. There it is. Who has not appealed to what, it, what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Uh, the... Purification process, ceremony that takes place in verse 30 would have been ritualistic, it would have been ceremonial, but it was meant to depict an inward reality too, just like sackcloth and ashes and fasting on the outside is to depict that mourning and grief and confession and repentance on on the inside. Um, Sadly, over time, rituals like this were cover-ups for uncleanness on the inside. That's why Jesus refers to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside are dead, dead man's bones. Our, our purification process today doesn't come by way of ritual. or It comes by confession comes by confession and a faith-filled response to the gracious, sin-pain work of Jesus on the cross. John writes famously in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful because he said he would and God is always good on what he says. And just because it would be an act of injustice on God's part to the work of Jesus on the cross, to not forgive us our sins. So he's faithful, and and he's just. Here's here's the reality of the Christian life. We are to be people of lifelong confession and repentance. This This is why Jesus calls us to pray, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive the trespasses Against us. Along with asking for our daily provision, we are to pray, forgive us our trespasses. A question that some ask is, if God forgives us us of our sin, past, present, and future, when we confess, then why do we need to repent again? Well, my response to that first is, I agree with you. God does forgive us our sins, past, present, and future. Our record of debt has been erased, Colossians 2. It's been erased, past, present, and future. Ephesians 1.7, our trespasses there have been forgiven. That theology is correct. That's good theology. I agree with that theology. The problem is we don't have a relationship with a theology. We have a relationship with a person, God in us, whom we can grieve And we can quench. See, there is a positional reality that comes in our relationship with God, but there is a relational reality, too. We are a finished work in Christ. I agree with that. We are are new creations. His righteousness is ours, perfect righteousness, ours now, and we are justified before God. We stand not just not guilty, we stand innocent before God now, positionally, in Christ. Praise God. This has been realized in us. And yet, we are works in progress, too. We are finished work, but we're not finished work. That won't be finished. The work that God began in us won't be finished until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. And therefore, even though we are now justified, we still need to be sanctified. And this needs to be applied to us. We need God to work in us as we work out. And part of that life, that work, is lifelong repentance outwardly as the Spirit reveals and convicts inwardly. This is why... This is why when Jesus writes to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, that he calls five of the churches to repent. Now, you may argue that Laodicea may be a church full of people that don't know Jesus. You can have that argument, but not the other four. It's very clear. And he calls them to repentance. He calls us to one of the things that I love and appreciate about our Sunday gatherings is our corporate call to repentance and the assurance of our salvation that follows. I'm also committed to our weekly meal, this meal of remembrance, because in that meal, in that time of remembrance, there's an opportunity to examine ourselves. Is there a danger of these moments becoming ritualistic? Well, of course. Going to church on a Sunday's has a danger of becoming ritualistic. Some of you are following that ritual today, perhaps. Giving, singing, worship, prayer can all become rituals. But the call for us is not to stop the practice, but to check our hearts and to prepare ourselves. Element number one, joy, element Number two, purity, third element that stands out about their celebration. They celebrate thankfully. This is good. Let me read verses 31 to 41. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks. One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. There's that gate again. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemiah, Jeremiah, Manamite. By the way, I'm looking forward to getting to 1 Peter. Just some <laughs> normal, normal names. And some of the priests' sons with trumpets and Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph all as well as his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Mililai, Gililai, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, Ezra the scribe went in front of them. At the fountain gate they climbed the steps of the city of David, on the ascent of the wall, and went above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The second thanksgiving procession went to the to the left, and I followed it with half the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall above the Ephraim gate, and by the old gate, the fish gate, the Tower of Hananel, the Tower of, of the hundred to the sheep gate, they stopped at the gate of the guard. The two Thanksgiving processions stood in the house of God, so did I. And half of the officials accompanying me, as well as the priest. And I'll let you read the rest of those names there on your own time. Have fun. Here, here's what we have to picture. We got a big group of people standing on top of the wall, moving to the right. My left, your right. Moving to the right. Singing, dancing, marching, and just thanking And then you have, and that group is found in verses 31 to 37. And then you have a group of people on the wall going the opposite direction. That's verses 38 to 43. So they're singing and they're playing and they're marching and they're dancing. And they're they're thanking God. And, And they all end up where? At the temple because that's where God meets with his people. And that's where people are made right with him. Walking around something at this time was a way of claiming it. Think Jericho and Joshua. This is ours. Do you remember the mockery back in chapter 4? E- even if a fox were to walk on the wall, it would crumble. And now this. Can you imagine how Nehemiah feels as he's walking around and the rest of the people with him? What a time. We also have to keep in mind the initial walk around all the way back in chapter two when Nehemiah gets up in the middle of the night, takes a few people with him and starts walking around the walls and they've all been burned down. They're all destroyed and there's a a point in time where he can't even keep on going because it's it's so devastated and now this. There's a reason why these two processions are called Thanksgiving procession because they're so full of thanks. You know, one of the things that I've learned about myself, um, especially over the last couple of years in particular, is how good I am at complaining. I'm super good at it. Super good at complaining, especially if I read something online or I watch news, see talking heads on CBC or BCTV or CNN or Fox. First thing out of my mouth, complaints and grumbles. Like clockwork. And like I said, I'm really, really good at it. I've been set free from Egypt, and I still complain. A lot. When I've been there 10 billion years, bright shining as the sun, I'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when I first begun, and I still complain. I still complain. I'm 55. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Another 25 years? 20, 30 years? Do you know what that means? Even if I live another 30 years, I'm going to see Jesus (laughs) in the next 30 years. And I still complain. And when I see him, I'll be like him. And I still complain. Paul writes that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And I still complain. I said earlier that what marked this group was joy, but let me add that our our joy rests on being people of thanks. Sin, Sin can sap joy, the joy of our salvation, but so too can grumbling and complaining. And one of the reasons why we can be so joyless is because we forget to think on those things that we should be joyful over. So so here's my counsel, Midtown, free free advice to all of us. Counsel is much for me, maybe more for me than you. Turn the TV off. (laughs) Put the phone down once in a while. Stop sitting in the seat of scoffers. And instead, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the promise, the God of peace will be with you. And and, and complaining will be replaced with thanksgiving and joy will follow. regardless of how bad it is out there. They celebrated joyfully, they celebrated purely, they celebrated thankfully, and last, as we put a bow on this, they celebrated generously. Verses 44 to 47. On that same day, men were placed in charge of the rooms that housed the supplies, contributions, first fruits, and tents. The legally required portions for the priests and Levites were gathered from the village fields because Judah was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification along with the singers and gatekeepers as David and his son Solomon had prescribed. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were heads of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, so in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites, and the Levites set aside daily portions for Aaron's descendants. So they celebrated with joy and purity and thanks, and now they celebrate with giving. Back in chapter 10, if you remember, they made that vow, public, written, signed, document. In that vow, one of the things they vowed was their ongoing support for the ministry of the temple. Quickly, just some things to notice about their giving, and then we'll go into a time of response. I want you to notice first that they gave responsively. They gave in light of what God had done. Our giving is to be the same. Uh, in, in calling the church to give in 2 Corinthians 8:9, Paul reminds them to give in light of Jesus who became poor so we could become rich. That's gospel giving. Give in response to what Jesus gave, and He gave it all, so that we would inherit the heavenlies. Secondly, they gave legally. There were legally required portions to be collected for the temple ministry. We don't like the word legal today as it's connected to our giving. I understand that. I get it. So let's not use the word legal. I'll use a different word. It's presumed that we will give. For Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount didn't say if you give, but when you give. Third, they gave cheerfully. The people in the region of Judah gave because they were grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. Paul writes, going back again to that 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 text, the longest text in the New New Testament on the idea, the topic of giving, he says there, we shouldn't give reluctantly. We also shouldn't give under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. When it comes to the topic of giving, two big rocks in the giving jar that that the Bible speaks of. Number one, um, if you haven't given yourself to God, don't give. He doesn't want your money. That's why we say that every week here. Just keep it. He wants your heart. Secondly, if you can't give cheerfully, don't give. He, He doesn't want it, He wants you. He wants it in response to what he has done for you. They gave cheerfully. Fourth, they gave carefully. In verse 44, they placed men in charge of the rooms that house the offerings. This is a checks and balances thing. This is, this is like for, uh, first century. This is five BC, fifth century BC. This is checks and balances. This is a security detail, right, that, That's what this group is. We, we need to follow a similar pattern. Um, we don't have a storeroom here; we have a bank. But we have checks and balances. Um, the topic of money is one of those things in the church that money has to be dealt with well. We're going to talk about that at our members' meeting. You're a great giving church body; you're wonderful. You're wonderful, um, and we'll talk about that that more. And last, and I'll close with this: they gave collectively. In verse 47, all Israel contributed, which include, included the Levites and the priests. Uh, nobody exempt. So there you go. Celebration, dedication. As I close, and we go into the response of this, to the response of this, the application points of this text to us individually and, and corporately are myriad Right? They're all over the place. We are to be people of joy. Of our salvation most of all. We are to be people of purity. How was your week? How was last night? We're to be people of thanks. And we are to be people of, of generosity. Are you? Am I? Are we? And we're not to be these things out of ritual keeping or under compulsion, but in in response to what God has done in us and for us by way of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came, but not to build a wall, but to tear one down, because walls divide people. And most significantly, walls that Jesus came to tear down Divided us from God himself. A wall of division. A wall of enmity. And he came and tore it down. How how did he do that? By being torn down in our place. All of this in response to what Jesus has done and accomplished for us. Division replaced with intimacy. Enmity replaced with relationship. That's that's worth raising an and Ebenezer for? Huh? Would you rise as we respond, please, pretty please? Let me pray as we go into this time. Father, now, as we respond to to your word, I, I pray for a sweet time of ministry here, that we would do what you've called us to do in light of your word, that we would Be guided by your spirit. Are there things that we have to put off uh, that that we need to run from? uh, Or are there things perhaps that we need to run to to make right or give ourselves to? Whatever it is, I pray for a sweet time of ministry and that Jesus, you you would be um, worshipped and blessed in this time as we remember your work in our place. And I pray for these things, all these things in Jesus, your beautiful name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to mtownchurch.ca.